0: Hello, I'm Kenny White, I'm the campus pastor, and I'm here with the OG campus pastor, Mike Golay. Would you give Mike a hand today? Mike, I'm so thankful to have you here. We did an interview that we're going to uh, have available online, but I thought it would be better to get real time Mike Golay here in the service today. And one of the things that is especially important and part of the reason that we have you here is because we're celebrating the 20 year anniversary of the Shakopee campus. Though it happened, really that anniversary is in February, we wanted to take time in the fall kickoff to really highlight that. And we thought it'd be cool for you to share a little bit about what was happening in your world and what God did to get you here and kind of the genesis of uh, the Shakopee campus.
1: Yeah, so in the 90s, I lived in Israel, and uh, got married in Israel, and I've always been part of Friendship Church, uh, got uh, saved in 1987, was basically uh, mentored by the youth pastor at the time, and the situation in Prior Lake, the original campus, was that it was growing too fast, and they had already put on several editions, and they were cornered without space, mm. and after the analytics of looking at who lives where... of the attendees over there in the 90s, early 2000s were actually from the Shakopee area. And so at that time, there was a lot of megachurches and there was no room to build, so we were one of the first churches to do a multi-campus model, which became quite quite popular in the the modern day. So they called me one day and asked me, as I was living in Israel, being a friend and friendship old-timer to come and plant this campus and pastor it, and that was 2003 uh, of actually, yeah, February of 2003 is when we opened, a soft opening, and yeah. uh, it, was, it was amazing. So that's what brought me back, uh, but I've always been part of Friendship Church.
0: Yeah, and there, there was um, really vision behind it. It seems like m- most of the larger churches were on the other side of the river, and uh, Scott County really wasn't... Um, uh, the gospel wasn't as available in Scott County, and that was a part of the heart of the Shakopee campus. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that and the vision behind the Shakopee campus with
1: families. Yeah, the original vision uh, by the original founding pastor, Doyle Van Gelder, was to reach Scott County. He actually believed it was possible to reach every person in Scott County with the gospel and every week we would pray for that. Every week there would be some form of an outreach that continued over into the Shakopee campus because we were called one church, two campuses was our motto back then. And, yeah, you're right. There was not a whole lot of Bible-believing churches south of the river. Now there is, but right. back then there wasn't. And that uh, is still a part of the vision. Friendship Church has always been a missionary church, so we've always had, in, in the eyes of, you know, third parties, a disproportionate amount of missionaries compared to the size of our church yeah. and i believe that god has blessed us in all levels including financially and attendance because of our outreach focus god mm-hmm. always loves to see people make disciples and actually do what he's asked us to do yeah amen
0: the early on it seemed like the focus on the word and families was was really pronounced and has continued to this day but maybe you can talk through Uh, some of that vision, even with our uh, youth and children's ministry.
1: Yeah, so the tagline was Bible-based family building, and although that's not necessarily a tagline now, it's certainly part of the DNA, it's part of the culture of Friendship Church. It's the place where you can go to and count on hearing the Word of God without any edits, without anybody taking and pulling inconvenient cultural verses out so they can put butts in seats and be popular in the eyes of man. Yeah. Friendship Church has just always gone straight through the word of God unbridled. Where else are you going to get that was always the question. You're going to get that in a bar, you're going to get that in a school, you're going to get that in a community center, you're going to get that in your job. The answer is maybe you'll get portions, but you won't get that this level of it. And if you do, it'll be watered down. So the word of God has always been a big part of Friendship's DNA. And then of course family building, one of the beautiful things that we've seen over the years is young people, including all the way from, you know, zero all the way through 18 and even into the college years, those fr- that framework and that foundation is how I came to faith. Yeah, And uh, I came to faith through a dare. I, I was dared <laughs> to come to church and that was all it took for me. But a lot of our students here uh, have Friendship Church as a as a kind of a foundation of faith, mm-hmm. and a lot of them survive life and are able to prosper in their f- faith because of life. So family building and Bible-based have always been part of Friendship Church, and friendship, the, the very name, friendship, implies relationships. We've always tried to be relational, yeah. friendly, connecting. Oh, that's where places. that came from. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay, that's good.
1: <laughs> hey, uh, Mike, one of the things
0: I was wondering about is about four years ago, you took another position, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the, the change in your,
1: uh, in your life
0: and where that has taken you and what that looks like even now.
1: It wasn't an easy decision. It was one of the hardest decisions because I loved pastoring here. But after prayer and after asking the wisdom from many people and uh, asking God for what we call a fleece, a fleece is when Gideon asked for, for confirmation, so hmm. signs. And because uh, it was a major shift for me. I loved what I did here. Yeah. And so the, mi- the new ministry that I entered into, which was around since 2014 and even before that in concept, is working with my brother-in-law who is an Israeli. His, his name is Emil Zofati. And I made that decision in 2019 in the fall. And I've been there since. I attend this service. This is the service I attend. I travel a lot, but I'm on sabbatical through the end of this month. And I'm not going to be traveling as much. We're building a studio in Israel. And so we're going to focus more on online, uh, social media, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that's the decision I made. And this is my church. I wouldn't think about going anywhere else. I travel a lot to many different churches. Uh, This is the church that I love. This is the church that I respect most and the leadership I respect most. And I don't think you guys realize how good you have it in a church like this.
0: I tell them that every week, Mike. I tell them. Well, you're the right guy to tell them, of course, yeah. <laughs> no. no. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask uh, any of our staff that's in the room or elders, if you would come forward, and I think there are some trustee members too, if you would come forward, we're going to pray for you, uh, Mike, here in just a moment, and I'm going to ask them to come forward to do that, and if you could identify maybe some prayer requests in these days that we could be uh, lifting you up in.
1: So we are building a studio in Israel and it's, uh, it's a heavy uh, budgetary thing and so we're trying to raise support for that. And over the next three months we're going to try to get all of the funds needed to fund that operation for an entire year. That includes staff, equipment, rent, all the infrastructure. So that's a big piece that I'm involved in and will oversee a lot of that. Um, pray for balance. I'm on a sabbatical. The reason I'm on sabbatical is because I needed to address some un, uh, some, some areas of my life that were unattended to for many years. And yeah. so uh, okay. I've got a lot of good things that I'm looking at. Okay. And uh, they, they are I'm very blessed that this ministry of behold Israel has given me this time to do that. And uh, so I'll go back in two weeks and I'll head down to Dallas and then it'll start up again. Uh, after that, so prayers for all of those things would be appreciated. Yeah. yeah.
0: One of the things I've appreciated about behold Israel is they've it seems to me that they've taken hold of the scriptures and stayed focused on the scriptures. I know a lot of times when you're dealing with prophecy, there are kind of these uh, outliers that get a little unique and the fact that you and Amir stay so focused on the Word of God, Uh, is encouraging, and I I just want to thank you for your faithfulness, and we'd like to spend some time in prayer for you. All right. Would you come in? I I know several in the first service really wanted to get their hands on you, Mike. I don't know what that was about, but uh, yeah, right. Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Would you join me as we pray for Mike? Lord, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for Mike and what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. Lord, would you Bless him and his family as they see your uh, your life and their lives as they experience both your grace and mercy. We think of the needs that Mike has identified, Lord, one of those uh, just being a good steward of, of his time and knowing uh, when and how to divide his time for your glory and the calling you've given him, uh, Lord, in his life. We we also would pray, Lord, for the funds, for the projects that they're working on right now and uh, would ask, uh, Lord, for your uh, hand of protection, of guidance, of wisdom in all of these things. Lord, I'm so thankful for how you uh, started um, with a message in his heart as he stewarded so well the gospel here at Friendship. And as he's taken that same heart into Behold Israel, And we would ask that you would um, bless it because you bless your word. We ask that you would strengthen him that you would guide him, that he would have a sense of your presence in special ways in these days. We love you, Lord. We're thankful for Mike. We're thankful for his family. And we ask that you would be exalted in Jesus Christ precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray.
1: Amen. Amen. Would you give Mike a hand today? All
0: right, well... As you know, Mike does a lot of traveling, and there are weird laws all over the world. I don't know, maybe, you didn't, maybe you knew that, but there are weird laws everywhere, and I thought, for Mike's sake, we should identify some of those laws to help protect him as he travels in the days to come. Uh, so, as an example, uh, Mike, when you're in France, be careful that you don't kiss on a train, because you could get fined for that. Uh, yeah, be careful. Now, there are places on the platform that I, I don't know if they're just identified as makeout places or, or how that works, but there are places for that, not on the train. Uh, additionally, in Switzerland, make sure you flush before 10 p.m. Uh, that's a law there, and if you don't flush before 10 p.m., again, you could be fined. Um, I don't think this will be an issue for you, but don't wear high heels and grease when you're visiting sites there. So... Just something to keep in mind that, again, you can get fine. There are weird rules all over the world, and those rules are put in place for specific reasons. And let me suggest to you today that there are some rules that we have in the kingdom of God that maybe aren't intuitive, but that would call us to life. And so, uh, in just a few moments, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. I just want to take a moment and pray as we're preparing our hearts for this series and kingdom logic. Kingdom logic is, again, not necessarily an intuitive way of understanding the kingdom of God, but is clearly identified in the scriptures. It's juxtaposed to the way we think in our world at this time compared to what God is calling us to and the logic Behind what God is calling us to. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and praise you. We ask, O Lord, that you would be exalted and lifted up. We recognize, Lord, that we need you. And as we think of these kingdom customs (laughs) as are true in our world, in different nations, we recognize there are some different laws and rules in your kingdom. So give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. Help us, Lord, in these days to focus on your kingdom and that kingdom logic for your good glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In these days, there are going to be some things that happen. There's there's going to be a World Series coming up. There'll be a um, Super Bowl coming up over the course of the next year. There's going to be a... um, uh, There's going to be a Democrat National Convention, a Republican National Convention. In a little over a year, we'll vote for a president. There's a lot going on in our nation. There's also a lot going on in our world. Over the course of the next year, perhaps unbeknownst to us, there may be some births that occur in our families. There may be some deaths that occur in our families. There may be some job changes that occur. There may be challenges to what we believe and hold Dear to in our own lives. And the reason I bring that up is because it is especially important for us to understand God's kingdom and his plan for us. And so as we get into Mark chapter nine, I want to challenge us and encourage us to lean into this unique kingdom logic that is given to us in the scriptures. Some things that that we should identify. Uh, first of all is this uh, Mark uh, the author, went on to become a missionary in Egypt. Uh, while he was a missionary in Egypt, in Alexandria in particular, he started a school. The school was for, um, it, it was a catechismal school for new believers so that they could better understand the scriptures. And the way they understood him in that school was allegorically. So what I'm saying is Mark primarily taught an allegorical way Of understanding the scriptures. He combined that with a philosophical way of understanding and defending the scriptures. The reason that that maybe matters to us is because it's going to a little bit come into play today. There was another school that began uh, after the school in Alexandria in a place called Antioch and that school focused primarily, not exclusively, but primarily on the context and the language that the scriptures were written in. So their exegetical approach was a lot different depending on if you were from the school of Alexandria or the school of Antioch. And again, that's going to come up a little bit in our text today. So as we're reading it, there may be kind of some allegorical creativity that we could uh, consider because that's in part how Mark thought. But also we need to lean into what does the text say and understand it from that perspective too. So what I'd like to do is turn to Mark chapter nine and in verses one through 13, just walk through it together. At the end of that time, we're, we're going to get some focus and we're going to walk through some responses to kingdom logic in those places. So we're in Mark chapter nine. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. Someone from our team will give you a Bible. If you don't have one uh, available to you, we wanna get that into your hands. Someone came after service, uh, after the last service, and said, hey, I'm doing a Bible study in my school, and my friends don't have Bibles. Do you mind if I take one for them? Yeah, you sure can, because we believe in the power of the Word of God, that the Word of God offers life, and we want to get that life into people's hands. So uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to get a pen, highlighter, get ready to underline, highlight, just don't mark things out, that's bad. If you have your electronic device, you can use that. Again, we're trusting you. Uh, uh, Stick with it. All right. Uh, We're in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 kind of bleeds in from Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8... Uh, Jesus has identified, he's foretold his death and resurrection. In the midst of talking about his death and resurrection, he has told his disciples to pick up the cross and follow him. That if anyone is going to come after him, they need to deny themselves and pick up their cross. For whoever would save their life must lose it, but whoever loses their life for Christ's sake and the sake of the gospel will find it. And Jesus goes on to say, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So that's how chapter 8 ends. Chapter 9 is going to bleed right into that. Uh, They're interconnected. And you may be thinking, well, then why did they make that chapter 9? That's a great question. We should ask God when we get to heaven. Um, But we don't have an answer today. You guys, it was funnier in my head. you got to work with me a little bit, please. Chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Let's walk through it. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. When you see that term, kingdom of God, know that the author is talking about the reign or rule of God. The reign or rule of God. So the kingdom of God, reign or rule of God. And the idea that it comes with power, there is this dynamic authority along with it. It's actually where we get the word dynamite is from this Greek word. It has a dynamic authority or power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. Right from the very beginning, you, you have to ask, well, wait a minute. Why, why is he telling us six days? In the Luke account, they say mm, about eight days. Here in the Mark account, he says after, uh, after about six days. So there is, there, there is something purposeful there. Could be a variety of things. We're not going to get into numerology and that sort of thing today. That's not where we're going. But we do want to identify that specifically that clause connects what is to follow with what just happened. So what is to follow with what just happened? What just happened? Well, there are going to be some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. After it has come in power. And that's what we're about to see. Mark is going to connect that. By the way, you're going to start seeing some flavor come out in this passage. The flavor is going to lean into uh, the, the Exodus account, and specifically, perhaps the Feast of Tabernacles. We see Jesus coming up with three of his four first disciples, almost as if he's offering first fruit when he comes up to this place. And he led them up on a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured. There is a complete transformation that occurs. What they, who they walked up with looks much different than who is there in this moment. Again, really clear from the language. Let's keep going on in verse 3. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Again, Mark wants you to know. Uh, Jesus didn't have additional clothes in his backpack. He didn't change real quick while no one was looking. There is a transformation that has occurred that just couldn't occur in and of themselves. Something happened. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. The Luke account tells us that they were talking about Jesus' death. And so what do we have? Well. Perhaps part of what Mark is pointing us towards is the fact that we have this prophet, the, 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 the one who is kind of representing the Word of God in this particular passage, and he's pointed towards Jesus. And then you have Moses, who represents the law and the lawgiver, and he's pointed towards Jesus. They're both focused on Christ in this moment. And so we see in an allegorical sort of way that both the, the prophecies point to Christ, and the law points to Christ, and they are subservient to Christ in this passage. And so we'll continue on. Uh, And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And you might be thinking, why did he say that? And Mark clarifies it. For he did not know what to say, (laughs) for they were terrified. And maybe you've been in those spots where you're like, I don't know what to do. I've never been in a situation where someone was transfigured in my very presence. And then there is this person from the old, two people from the Old Testament that I've been studying and reading, and here they are in front of me. I don't know what to do. Let's make them tense. I don't know. Uh, But it becomes really clear that there is a feel in this passage, and the feel has to do with this exodus that God is present. By a cloud in the Exodus, he is present. And we're about to see that in this passage. Uh, to, to commemorate God's presence and the movement of God in the wilderness, the uh, the Feast of Tabernacles was given. And this feast is to remind them about God and his presence and what God does and how God delivered and how God prepared and how God saved and how God rescued And here they are. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The message is clear. Peter, stop talking. Uh, Here's what you should do. Listen to him. The emphasis here, do what he says. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he, Jesus, charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I think this is true with most people. When you tell them not to do something, what do they want to do? That, right? And we see this in the next part. Okay, don't don't talk about this until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first, must must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the son of man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. And we, again, we see in this passage, this is fulfilled ultimately, I mean, this is fulfilled with Elijah, but also John the Baptist takes on that role. We're not going to get into that in depth uh, right now, but John the Baptist takes on that role as well. So Mark has laid some stuff out for us. And in the midst of that, what he has told us is a lot of kingdom logic. There are some things that aren't as intuitive about the kingdom but it's going to require us to focus our attention. And focus is actually a pretty good word for this because kingdom logic fixes our eyes on Christ. Kingdom logic orients us to God's plan and our place in the world. Kingdom logic uh, challenges us to obey the word. It uplifts us to follow Christ and it sanctifies us. It gives us focus. And it's that focus that we're called to. In fact, I I, want to suggest that that's exactly what we're supposed to do is fix our eyes on Jesus. When they go up on the mountain with Jesus, uh, their attention is towards him. But we see this throughout the scriptures. Maybe you can think of some areas that that's true. How about Jesus walking on the water? Remember the story from the scriptures? Jesus is walking on the water. Uh, We're told that he intended to just walk on past them on the boat. How cool would that have been? Hey, guys. Uh, And then just keeps walking. But Peter sees him, thinks he's a ghost, and he calls out to him. If that's really you, then have me walk on the water with you. It's me. Come on out. Peter walks out on the water. And when he's with Jesus, when he sees Jesus, everything is fine. But when his attention goes to the winds and the waves, Crashing in, suddenly he starts to sink. But when his eyes fixed on Jesus, everything's good. That's an example. We would also see that with uh, the woman who had the issue of blood. Remember the story? She had gone all over the place. She had gone to doctors and she had tried some self-help stuff. She had gone to some natural, uh, uh, some, some natural uh, options for healing. None of them worked. But when she fixed her eyes on Jesus, the fact that everyone else was around, the fact that she could be shamed publicly, uh, she puts it to the side, and she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And because she's fixed on Jesus, there is healing. Everything else is set apart, and her fixation on Jesus is rewarded. There is something about fixing our eyes on Jesus that is absolutely necessary. The law fixes on Jesus. The prophets fix on Jesus. And the followers of Christ, too, are to fix on Jesus. So I would ask you, what's going on in your world? Are there some winds and waves that are going on? Are there some distractions around you? Are there some areas where you need to get your eyes off of that and back onto Christ? If so, what might they be? Could it be at work? Someone's asking you to do something that you know is wrong. Or perhaps they're just aggravating you and your focus is on them. They're agitating me. Ah, oh, they're asking me to do something wrong when our eyes need to be fixed on Jesus. Perhaps there's something else. Maybe it's at school where there is, a, uh, there is a call to be, you know, not so focused on the Word of God. Eh, maybe we could... Maybe we could be a little more open-minded. Maybe we could even ignore the scriptures. And for the sake of fitting in, we, we might want to do that. But could it be that our eyes need to be focused on Christ? What might that look like in your world today? Not only does kingdom logic fix our eyes on Christ, but kingdom logic also orients us to our place in this world. Remember, when Peter wasn't sure... He came up with a plan. Hey, it's good for us to be here. Maybe we should build some tents. Pretty good idea. High fives, guys? No? Okay. Um, what do we do? Well, often we do like Peter. We just kind of make up the plan, but God's word comes in really clear and orients Peter to his plan. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Do what he says. Stop it, Peter. Be still. And maybe that's a part of this. Kingdom logic is to be present with Christ in the moment, to listen, to not speak, to wait before we do to seek him. What might that look like in your life today? What could that be? Are there some areas where maybe you're getting out ahead of the Lord a little bit? Maybe if we just do this, this will fix it. Where God is calling us to shift our attention back to him, uh, to listen to Christ. Kingdom logic fixes our eyes on him. Kingdom logic orients us to our place in the world. But kingdom logic also challenges us. But it challenges us with direction that's not always intuitive. As I stated with Peter, it was to listen, not to speak. It was to wait, not to do. Sometimes God calls us to speak and sometimes God calls us to do. But God calls us to listen to him, to wait on him. Kingdom logic challenges us. Kingdom logic challenges us, and that's not always intuitive. In other words, we don't just feel through the kingdom of God. Ah, it feels right, so that's what I did. No, we're aligning with his word, which brings us to the next uh, kingdom logic point. It uplifts us, specifically to fulfill God's words, specifically to fulfill God's words, To fulfill God's word means to do what it says. So when we fulfill scripture, we're doing what the scripture tells us to do. Love your neighbor, okay? When we love our neighbor, we're fulfilling the scripture to love our neighbor. So we are called to this. The question that they had, wait, why is it that Elijah has to come? And Jesus starts to identify that it's to fulfill scripture. That scripture needs to be fulfilled. That's the point. And we're uplifted and challenged to follow him in that place. Not just that, but also kingdom logic sanctifies us. Sanctifies us through the holy crucible of suffering. Uh, Jesus talks about this in verses 12 and 13. He said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things and how it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. Does it bother anybody that God's plan, God's will was actually for suffering? That his son would suffer? Sometimes that bothers me. I really wanted this prayer of salvation to lead me to an easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy kind of life. That everything was going to be all right oh yeah, okay, I asked Jesus into my life, now everything is just going to work out and I'm not really going to have to work hard and I'm not going to feel any pressure and and life is just going to be fun. Well, life can be joyful in the midst of that crucible, but suffering is still there. And God might actually use that suffering to do something beautiful. And I would suggest to us that offering that that suffering to the Lord might be exactly that. I often hear people say, um, "You know, what about people who have same-sex attraction? How, how, how should like like does God want them to be lonely their whole life?" Well, let me in part answer that. Uh, God wants us to offer our sexuality up to Him, and sometimes that is lonely. And, and it doesn't have to just be same-sex attraction that deals with that. But that loneliness is an offering that we can give to the Lord, that time of suffering. We offer that to the Lord. It could be health-wise. Oh, man, what, what happens when we get sick? Uh, what happens when cancer comes? Yep, we offer that to the Lord. There is something about suffering in God's economy that is both beautiful and valued into Christ, we see it in one of the uh, in one of the most uh, clear places of Scripture in terms of worship, Revelation, the book of Revelation, where we see this value played out. Remember, it's the martyrs who are under the altar who are crying out that the Father listens to and responds to. It's that place of suffering that God hears and God responds. It's a nation of Israel who suffers under Egypt and slavery that God hears and responds to their suffering. It's the cry out of people who have dealt with sin and death and cry out and God hears their suffering and responds. Suffering is a holy crucible that God uses sometimes. It's painful and it's not easy, but it is what God calls us to. And Jesus uh, knows all about it because uh, the scriptures clarify, he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. And this is the Lord. When we offer our suffering to the Lord, uh, he is no stranger to it. Identifies that and calls us to himself. So we see that this kingdom logic, it it calls us to fix our eyes on him. It it calls us to orient ourselves uh, to God's place in this world, our place in God's world. It challenges us to consider the scriptures and are we fulfilling it or not. It uplifts us to be obedient and it sanctifies us, it separates us, it sets us apart that we can follow the Lord in the midst of our suffering and pain. Kingdom's lo- the kingdom logic is uniquely different than the world logic. So what do we do with that? Well, as, as we begin to prepare our hearts for communion, let me give some suggestions. You may want to take pictures of this. If you have access to the app, you can go to the app uh, and, and find it there. Uh, but this might help us to process through some of these things. The first one is this. How is our focus Are our eyes fixed on Jesus or the world? One way to identify that is just think back over the last 10 conversations you've had. What were they about? What what was the topic? Did they get around to God? Not really. Is that consistent with how we usually communicate? Are our eyes fixed on Jesus or the world? Is our kingdom perspective in the right area? In other words, are we considering others? Philippians chapter 2 tells us to consider others better than ourselves. Our attitude should be that of Christ Jesus. In other words, we do consider others when we're making our decisions and when we're following the Lord, as we follow the Lord. Three, are we giving room for the movement of God or reasoning ourselves out of God's plan? Anybody ever do that? I think God's calling me to this, but maybe not. And we kind of we kind of reason our way out of that. Whether that is uh, God wants me to give of my time, treasure, and talents, uh, maybe next year. Or maybe God is calling me to share the gospel with my neighbor, mm, maybe next time. And and we reason ourselves out of God's plan sometimes. Four, are we considering God's word when we consider our to-do list? In other words, when we set up uh, what we're going to do this week, are we looking into God's word to... Uh, Add priority and value. And finally, is there suffering that we should embrace instead of moving away from it, ignoring it, or complaining about it? Is there some suffering occurring in our lives? Everyone is going to suffer, but what we do with it actually does matter. And the way that we can offer that to the Lord can be holy and it can be good. And it can be something, it can be a step of faith for us. I don't want to do this thing. I don't like this thing. I don't want it, but I can't get rid of it. Uh, God is not healing me. God is not moving me. God is not allowing this circumstance to change, whatever reason, but I'm offering this to the Lord uh, as a sacrifice of praise to him. That can be a beautiful thing. The worship team's going to come out, and as they come out here in the next few moments, I would just ask us to be preparing our hearts for communion. Communion is for the believer. Uh, It's for the person who's surrendered to Jesus as their Lord and Savior Uh, at Friendship Church. uh, You don't have to be a member of Friendship Church, but we ask that you're a member of the church. And that means surrendering to Jesus as Lord and Savior. We ask that you would do some things. One, maybe you would go through those questions, but specifically we're asking the Lord, Lord, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? And if there is, we just confess that. We're not going to surprise God. He's not going to go, whoa, you had, what? You struggled with that? I wasn't aware. We confess it, and then we turn away from it, and we turn to the Lord, uh, and we follow him in obedience to his word. So after you have a, a, a time to do that, you're welcome to go to the station nearest you, and we would ask you to go to the carpeted areas Go around, get both elements, and then return to your seat in the outer edge. As you return to your seat, uh, wait for Pastor Jason. He'll come and share and lead us in a time of communion. If you're in a situation where uh, you, you can't get up to the table, or you just simply want to be served at your seat, that's fine. We have team members in the room right now. If you raise your hand, they'll serve you right where you're at. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you, O oh Lord, and ask that you would be exalted and lifted up. We thank you, Lord, for your kingdom logic. Oh, sometimes it's hard, it's, it's, it's not what we think it should be, it's not intuitive. But it is your word, and it's good and it's true. And so, Lord, as we fix our eyes on you, as we orient ourselves to your plan, as we are challenged to follow your ways and not our ways, as we're uplifted to be obedient and sanctified, separated, to serve you even in the midst of suffering, Lord. We pray that you would be glorified and honored in our lives. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.